Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. All right, enough working out of order here on these teams. It's Hawks Day on the pod. We're back out of order one last time, and then everything should settle back into place. We'll have the Nets tomorrow. Right? Yeah, tomorrow finishes up the week. Tomorrow's Friday. I can do this. Nets on Friday. Uh, and then you got two teams, actually, with 46 wins. Bulls or Wolves. I will have my choice as to where we begin next week. Uh, no, wait, no Nets tomorrow. We did the Nets already. Ho, ho, ho. Lest we forget. Uh, did the Atlantic Division. As it turns out, there's just a lot of teams from the Atlantic that are in the upper half of the Eastern Conference. So Nets, Raptors, Sixers, Celtics, they're already covered. We're not far from done with the Eastern Conference. We got a lot left to do out West. Uh, we got Wolves, Nuggets, Jazz, Mavs, Warriors, Grizzlies, Suns. So a couple more weeks in the hopper here on uh, team breakdowns. And uh, draft is two weeks from today. Again, I don't really do draft coverage, but we'll try to get somebody here on the show that I can just say, hey, what do we need to know? And let him talk for a while. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. As always, I ask of you, please drop a follow on my guys, my football guys, Ethos Fantasy FB, Ethos Fantasy BB. That's the baseball one, Joe and JP, busting their humps to get those things off the ground right now. And I want you guys checking it out at the very least. Give it a look-see. Come on. You know you want to. Just do it. Do it for your old pal, Dan. Also, uh, very quickly here, finals review. Uh, Boston pulled away late. They were up by double digits at halftime. Warriors cut it, I think, to a three or one point game briefly. And then the Celtics went on a push after that, and, and that finished it off. Steph Curry also had his foot tweaked. During a dive for a loose ball, Al Horford fell on his leg. So hopefully that doesn't create any kind of issue for the series going forward. Certainly as you look at that ball game yesterday, big difference between the two teams. You might want to say, oh, well, Celtics, they shot the ball better. or It may have seemed that way. They got to the free throw line way more, but missed a bunch of them. So that actually didn't have quite as large of an impact as it could have. It was rebounding. It was rebounding, and it was rebounding, and it was rebounding some more. Celtics had 11 extra attempts at the bucket, 89 to 78, in addition to the nine extra free throws. Warriors, four additional turnovers, but we know Golden State is kind of a high turnover team. The, the thing that they can control is just not giving the C so many extra options like that. 47 to 31 was the rebounding edge. Game did creep over the final score. Was a high-scoring game until the end. Things slowed down dramatically in the fourth quarter. Warriors just kind of stopped putting the ball in hoop. So it did go over the total. That was kind of what we were thinking. Mentioned on yesterday's show that the Warriors would keep it close. Wrong. And I thought because of the pace, you were looking at about 215, 216 number of possessions. That's what we got to. I don't know if it would have gotten there if the Warriors cleaned the defensive glass. Maybe it would have. Perhaps they would have gotten some easier looks not to take the ball out of the bucket. Warriors were very good in transition, quite bad in the half court. And that's what kept them from getting back into this thing. And you've got to think that that's what they're going to be looking at. Specifically, Draymond Green has to have more than four rebounds. It's not enough. Wiggins and Kevon Looney, seven apiece. 
And the Celtics, Time Lord had 10, Jalen Brown had 9, Horford had 8, Marcus Smart had 7. That's a lot of guys who basically matched the high total or better than the on the other team. Next game is tomorrow, so we will have an opportunity to break that one down on tomorrow's podcast. And then they loop all the way back around to Monday, so that also one we can do on a show, thanks to the fact that these games are so damn far apart. We don't have a game happening when we're not on air. Whoop-de-freaking-do. So says I. So, anyway, um, back to the task at hand. That's the Atlanta Hawks, who, uh, by all account, had kind of a crummy season. Yes, they did make the playoffs by squeezing into the play-in game as one of the, uh, were they the eight seed before they made it in there? Or no, they were right behind the Cavs. Hawks were the nine, tied with the Hornets, and they played their way in. Hawks, I believe, had home court against the Hornets, and they had to go win on the road against a, a slumping Cavaliers team that almost snuck through them. Um, but Atlanta did did what they had to do. And then, I, you know, other than Trey Young, who... And that's the weird thing about Atlanta. When you talk about what this season was like, they had four guys who had fantasy value on a per-game basis inside the top 75, which sort of, on its face seems like a relatively successful fantasy season. The problem is that two of those four guys went under their ADP. One of them was uh, pretty close to it on a per-game basis. That was Trey. And then Bogdan Bogdanovich was probably the one you'd call kind of a win among that group because I think he was getting drafted in like the... 80s or 90s, and he ended up in the 70s. But let's look at each one individually. First, the superstar, Trey Young. Number 11 on a per-game basis, 76 out of 82 games, which is kind of what we've come to expect from him. The reason that I think a lot of folks had had a little bit of a, a sour flavor on Trey in their mouths was that he missed head-to-head playoff games last year. He was drafted right near the turn, right after the turn. So again, on a per-game basis, he was right around where he was getting taken. Missed only nine games last season. It just felt like more because of when they happened. He had that brutal ankle tweak, and everybody's like, oh, he's out for like two, three weeks. Then he was back in like a week and a half. He, he, got, he returned quickly, but the week and a half he missed was during the most important week of the season. I think it was like the head-to-head semis, the one where everybody was sort of prepping, the one that gets you to in the money in your head-to-head league. But he played 81 games his first year, 60 in the weird uh, bubble season. It's hard to say what what you can actually put on that year. Uh, 63 last year. He had only nine missed games. They played more than the average. And then 76 this year was way more than league average. He plays through stuff, partially at least because... He's on a team that can't coast to a playoff spot, so he can't really afford to have a bunch of missed ball games, or his team isn't going to make it. And, and I suppose this is a little bit of the beauty of it. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, I don't see a reason why that should change dramatically year over year. Because if you look at this Hawks team, they've got a lot of money committed for next year already. I mean, a, a ton, a ton. John Collins, big contract. Trey, big contract. Gallo is actually set to still make a pretty good chunk of cash. 
Bogdan 18 mil, Capella 19 mil, and he's at the front end of a deal. Kevin Herter's making arguably too much money. DeAndre Hunter, big rookie deal. Aniko Kongwu, decent-sized rookie deal. I mean, the Hawks have like $130, $140 million committed to next season already. Maybe more if I'm not, I might be doing the math wrong. I'm sort of ballparking that in my head. It might be more than that. Uh, I've heard teams talk about, you know, can the Hawks go after a free agent this year? I I don't know. I, I imagine it would have to be a sign-in trade because they're so damn close to the cap already. But what what are they sending back? back in a deal like that it would probably have to be Okongwu people are going to be excited about him that might be the guy and then you pair him up with a bigger salary maybe like a Gallo who's coming off the books at the end of the year but then who's in a position to want that type of stuff who's who wants the young guy and then the older injury prone scorer who like can't even really get 27, 28 minutes on a middling team. The only one that comes to mind is a club that's looking at a free agent set to possibly leave, a restricted free agent. Maybe they can get something coming back, like maybe the Suns with... Isn't DeAndre Ayton a restricted free agent? That That's the kind of name that would pop up. A team that is perhaps likely to lose a guy, maybe can't afford to pay him or doesn't really want to, but then they hard cap themselves by going and getting something for it, as opposed to just him walking kind of deal. Like, maybe the Suns would like to have a young big. Kongwu doesn't really replace Aiden, but maybe the future is there, and then they take Gallo and slot him in some way, and now you're getting something for nothing. Barring what appears to be kind of threading a needle a little bit in terms of how to, how to acquire somebody with name, you know, the other part of that, by the way, before I pivot back into the other the names on the team here, is Capella would still be there. Ain't nobody want that contract. That's 20 mil a year, basically, for three more seasons. And I know Clint's been good for Atlanta, but if they're trying to get out from under him, it's going to have to include stuff that other teams want more than Capella. I don't think anybody wants to just go get a $60 million three-season thing. It would have to be a team ready to make a leap forward that doesn't have any other center ideas in the pipeline. I mean, that's a... You want to talk about threading the needle. That's really threading the needle. I mean, that's like... To me, that's even harder than pulling off the other stuff. Anyway. So, to that end, as much as there may be hope that the Hawks can get something done, DeLon Wright's $8 million deal coming off the books is about the only thing happening year over year. And with everybody getting raises pretty much across the board and Trey Young's massive extension kicking in the Hawks are fairly well hamstrung they're a play-in level team unless they can get the engines going earlier next season which is possible you know nothing it's not out of the realm of it and like they were only basically three to four wins away from clearing the play-in tournament but if you look at the the clubs that they'd have to get through the Bulls, so they would probably need the Bulls to lose Zach Levine if they want to get past them. The Raptors, they're always going to win games. Sixers, Bucks, Celtics, Heat, those teams are up at the top. And if they have their stars, you ain't catching them either. So for the Hawks, and the Nets probably will be better next year also. So, like, if you're the Hawks, you're staring down the barrel of another play-in situation, which sucks. 
and you're you're sort of trying to convince yourself that we we I say we if I'm in the locker room saying we can be better than what we were. Hawks would probably I mean they looked good in the playoffs. They looked bad when Capella went down, but they looked okay compared to the regular season iteration of themselves. And maybe this was kind of the wake-up call they needed. Hawks had that nice run last year. They upended the quote-unquote favorite Knicks, although I had the Hawks winning that series anyway because I think we all knew New York was way overperforming. They were a regular season club two years ago. Uh, and then the Hawks this year was like, well, you know, we'll, we'll coast our way to some sort of play-off, play-in situation. Everybody not named Trey Young. I don't know. That's what it looked like with Capella. It never looked like he really had his foot on his gas on the gas this year. Okay, so look, Trey Young. He's an easy guy to draft in fantasy drafts, which is saying something because I thought he would take a step back as guys around him got better, and the opposite had to happen. He ended up having to do more because the guys around him kind of flailed a little bit. Bogdan missed 19 games. He would have been the other guy that could maybe shoulder some of that scoring load, and he missed a bunch of time. John Collins missed 28 games this year, so that put more burden on Trey. Capella's not a scorer to begin with, but he, while only missing eight games, uh, wasn't that great this season. I mean, I, I, like, I like the fact that he was relatively durable, and so by a total standpoint... He beat his ADP. He was 44 by totals. That's right around where he was getting drafted. But 65 on a per-game basis because he didn't block as many shots this year. Simple as that. Still can't shoot free throws. Field goal percent's always going to be good. Rebounding is always going to be pretty good. But his blocks were down. And it just seemed like his overall effort was down. So I don't know. What do we prefer? Head-to-head, you're probably happy he played 74 games. It made him an easier guy to hang on to and not have to worry about him missing one game every week. It was more like a half a game a week in your head-to-head regular season, and that is pretty handleable from Capella because you didn't expect it. You draft him, you expect him to miss about a league average number of games. So I thought he'd play about 67, 68 games this year, and he hit 74. Meanwhile, John Collins, I think the hope there was that he would be the younger, more durable one without, like, you know, a suspension or other weird stuff that could derail things. And then he was just kind of meh. But at the same time, and then, here, let me, let's talk about Bogdan, and we'll talk about Okongwu as well before we get into what the future might hold. You're not going beyond those guys. Kevin Herter just doesn't have the fantasy game to support going beyond those guys. Gallo doesn't have enough playing time unless Collins is out in front of him. Because remember, John had the plantar fasciitis towards the end of the year. I forget what cost him a bunch of time towards the end of the season. Um, and even then, Gallo was kind of a, a coin flip, either having a giant game or a, or a pitiful one. If you started a Kongwu, who was number 134 in only 48 games this year, and work your way up the board. And by the way, a lot of that was just that they weren't really ready to play him all that much. He has really, really good fantasy potential. So that's your dynasty move, because you figure at some point he'll be a starting center in the NBA. You might have to wait three years for Capella's contract to run out, but on the chance that they can bump him up into the into the thick of things, you know, he was 134 in 20 and a half minutes a game. You get him another six or seven minutes, he's an easy fantasy asset. 
especially when the defensive stuff. And he's not a bad foul shooter at 73%. So a lot of stuff to like about Okongwu overall, but he's not there yet in redraft as long as the road in front of him is blocked. So not drafting him in, in redraft leagues. Dynasty, yes, you're all over that, but you know, you're probably going to have to squat on it a little bit. Um, so let's focus on Bogdan, Capella, and Collins. Since we already talked about Trey Young, he's an easy one. He's going to get drafted probably late first round again. And that's probably okay. Um, per game basis, I don't see how he could get any better than what you got this season. But maybe, you know, maybe turnovers go down from 4 to like 3.7. But even still, you have to make pretty big jumps to go up a slot or two in that, you know, 15 or above range. But regardless, you know, I'm not going to have any problem with it. He's still going to have to do a ton of stuff next year. Nobody, no big usage scorers are about to pop up on this team the way that we thought maybe they might start to do some more stuff. So fine, that's an easy one. What about those other names? What about John Collins? What about Clint Capella? What about Bogdan Bogdanovich? What do we do with them for next year? Well, Capella was drafted in the 40s this season. Uh, John Collins was like three, four slots behind him. So both of those guys were fourth rounders. And uh, Capella got there because of durability in a weird twist. Collins didn't because of a lack of durability in kind of another odd twist. So when you take a look at next year, what do you make of those guys? Well, I get the feeling that either Capella wasn't healthy or wanted to make sure he remained mostly healthy. It's really, really hard to know the difference. What I don't think you'll see is Clint getting wild and woolly because he got his contract. So now it's, I got to be ready for games that count. And then, of course, he got hurt in the playoffs anyway. So this is probably, this is probably the Capella you get. There's a chance the blocks tick back up because it's not like the, you know, the minutes per game dipped, but it wasn't overwhelming in that regard, to go from two blocks to 1.3. He only played like two fewer minutes per game this year, so that should have been more like 1.8 instead of 1.3. So yeah, maybe the blocks come back, and maybe the free throw shooting gets back up into the 50s instead of the 40s, but we know the field goal percent. The rebounding was down because he played three fewer minutes. That's That actually adds up pretty clearly. He played about 10% less, so he lost about two rebounds, a little bit more than 10% of his rebounding. That's probably not coming back. Maybe the blocks do to 1.5, 1.6, 1.7, something like that. But overall, he just did less. And now with the Kongwu breathing down his neck, there's kind of no reason for the Hawks to play him 30-plus minutes per ball game during the regular season. That said, Capella probably gets drafted near 60 this year based on what he did this last season. I think that you'll you'll probably see ADPs reflect what he was per game this year. So that's fine. If you want to take Capella early in the sixth round or the very end of the fifth round, I'm totally fine with that. He fits the bill as a bad foul shooting mid-rounder where hopefully at that point 
you've taken care of free throw shooting. Maybe you even have Trey Young as your late first round pick or something like that. You got Trey at, I don't know, 10. And so uh, fourth round, you'd have pick, what, 30, 46? I'd rather not deal with it at that point. You take him coming back like around 50? No, probably not either. All right, so you don't have Trey Young and Capella together. That's probably not happening. But let's say you have someone, you know, mid-first round type of guy um, or early first round even that's a great foul shooter and you take another good foul shooter in the second round, you could afford Capella late fifth, early sixth to hopefully handle your field goal percent, handle some blocks. The rebounds is another thing he's a big positive impact guy in. And he's sort of like a poor man's version of Rudy Gobert. Like, a lot like it, actually. Gobert with fewer of uh, all things, pretty much. (laughs) But, you know, if you miss out on a shot-blocking, rebounding big in the first three rounds, Capella will probably be there for you late fifth, early sixth. That's okay. John Collins, on the other hand, he profiles as a really good roto guy. He scores a little bit, right around league average. He can hit the three ball a little bit, slightly sub-league average, but fine for a power forward. Rebounds a little better than league average. Steals and blocks are together right around what you'd want. Steals maybe a little better than you'd expect from power forward. Blocks maybe a little worse. Good field goal percent. Good free throw number for someone you'd classify as a big man. Low turnovers. But, what the hell, 54 games, John. We're going to need better than that. So he ended up at around number 50, which on a per-game basis was pretty damn close, actually, to where he was drafted this year. Factor in some games where the minutes were sort of artificially depressed and whatever else with sort of like a, a haze hanging over that team this year. And fine. Like, in Roto, if he gets, if you get another, like, 12 games out of him this year then he's right on the mark. And I do wonder if Collins now is going to slip into that same bucket we've talked about here. And it's, this isn't, this isn't slotted into where you draft him bucket this, this time of year where we're breaking down the teams. This is the, like, what kind of a player are you bucket? And John Collins, like Tobias Harris prior to this last year, like DeMar DeRozan, CJ McCollum. We've gone through all these names here lately. He probably, now settles into kind of an old man fantasy profile because he is just kind of pretty good at almost all nine things. He's close, actually. As power forwards go, he's kind of a nine-cat guy because two assists per game is actually more or less enough from that spot on your, your fantasy roster. And then free throw percent, better than most power forwards. Field goal percent, better than most power forwards. Turnovers, better. Blocks, maybe a little worse. Rebounds, probably right around there. Pretty close to him. My guess is that he gets underdrafted. He disappointed teams the year before this because he just kind of underperformed. Disappointed teams this year because he didn't play. He missed a bunch of ball games. I'm wondering, and this is why we can have that kind of do you fall into the uh, Tobias Harris honorary fan club fantasy player bucket, does he get drafted in the mid-50s this year? I think the answer's probably. 
I don't think he's going to be in the 40s anymore. I think people have kind of seen enough to know that unless Trey Young somehow gets him an extra shot or two, this is kind of what you're going to get out of John Collins, which is decent production basically across the board. And that weird, there was like one season in his career, I don't remember what, what year it was, where he blocked a bunch of shots. I don't think that's really going to be it for him. This is probably more accurate. Some steals, some blocks, not a ton, a few of both. But he might be a value if you think he can stay healthy. Now, if he falls farther, that would actually surprise me if he fell further because he does do a lot of things relatively well. That'll keep him on radars. I don't think he goes later than 55. Maybe. I doubt it. Hmm. And then Bogdan Bogdanovich, who uh, I was down on during his Sacramento days, and maybe I was a little bit too down on him. He's shown a little something here in Atlanta, a little more creation. Three-pointers, pretty good. Uh, really nice free throw percent. The steals have been a bit better than I expected. Uh, they're going to need him to do more. It just can't be this much on Trey Young all the time. So I kind of I like Bogdan probably more in Roto than head-to-head. I don't know that we've seen him really last with that knee stuff. That's a little bit frightening. There's always some little thing kind of going on with with his body, which is kind of the case for a lot of the guys on this team. Um, but I have no problem with taking Bogdan near, I don't know, 85, 90, somewhere in that neck of the woods, just behind where he finished this year. I actually think there's a little upside with Bogdanovich that isn't that we haven't seen yet. That upside is, does he stay a little bit healthier can he kind of get his legs underneath him? Because he only played 29 minutes a game this year. And if he's actually right, right, they might try to get him in there for more like 30 or 31. Get him a half a shot more per game. One shot more per game. That little thing that could lift him from 15 points to 16, 16 and a half, 17 points if we get really lucky. Maybe he gets the foul line two times instead of 1.8 or 2.1. That's a really pretty attainable way for him to go from number 75 per game to like number 60 per game so that's now you're talking end of fifth round wouldn't draft him there that to me is more of a of a ceiling for him but like what if Trey Young even gets hurt for two or three weeks that's a way that Bogdan can get nuts for a month just go carry it you got to be the offense ain't nobody else showing up to do it We've seen what he can do when he actually gets more of a lead seat on this club. And I got to think Atlanta knows they can't ride Trey the way they did in the regular season this year, every year. It's just not healthy. Yeah, he's durable. Yeah, he's got a hell of a motor. He plays through stuff, takes contact, does all that weird stuff to get to the free throw line. But it's just not, that's not a sustainable model. And so Bogdan's got to be the guy to go help score, to create. Those other guys aren't creators. Herter's not a creator. DeAndre Hunter's not a creator. Cam Reddish, who they traded, was a gunner. I don't know if you want to call him a creator, but, I mean, he probably was closest of these other guys. Herter can pass a little bit, but he's not going to go get himself open the way that Trey can, and frankly, the way that Bogdan can, kind of create his own shot. So I actually like Bogdanovich this coming season. I hope he stays healthy. That would make him a really fun pick in head-to-head. But I think even if he misses a little bit of time in Roto, Uh, I believe he beats his ADP on a per-game basis. And so 
To that end, I like Bogdanovich. Put him on the board of guys we're kind of keeping an eye on. I think Collins probably falls into that Tobias Harris bucket. Capella probably gets drafted somewhat accurately, but isn't someone that I'm actively targeting. And then Trey Young, who we always figure is going to be a bit overdrafted, showing off that 10th category again, and that's a really important thing early on. Real important. I have to think there's a tiny bit of slippage from Trey, though. God, he did a lot this year. An injury or something, I mean, all that stuff really worries me. And and just overall, someone's got to help or he's going to run out of gas. And those are your Atlanta Hawks. And this was Fantasy NBA Today. Enjoy your Thursday, everybody. We'll just wrap it right up here. Oh, by the way, recruiting call. Try to get that in earlier in tomorrow's podcast. Recruiting call. We're looking for folks for NBA and NFL. Sports ethos growing again. And I'll throw this one out as a more specific recruiting call. We are looking for folks that want to be more involved on the video side here at Sports Ethos. So uh, give me a holler on Twitter at Dan Vespers or email support at sportsethos.com. I can actually grab those emails right out of the support bucket mm, if I like you. Have a great day. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. So long, everybody.